You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Voice Junkie. the voice junkie podcast it's been a long time since we've talked or since you've listened to me talk but we're here this is 2020 a new year a new dawning a new focus a new attitude per se now i'm just fucking with you (laughs) anyway we're going to talk about a lot of things in this episode we're going to talk about the dallas cowboys and the new hire of mike mccarthy the former head coach of the packers if you know or if you haven't been sleeping on the rock, there's a lot to cover there as far as his record and, you know, really how I feel about it. Because anybody who listens to this or listens to me on YouTube or any time you hear me shooting out a random rant on Twitter, you know how passionate I am about my Dallas Cowboys. So I have a lot to dive into on that topic. Also, I can't leave this podcast without talking about the New England Patriots and their drama. I mean, it's too good. It's too good to leave out. So there's a lot to, you know, unpack on that tip as well as far as Tom Brady's future and Bill Belichick's future and a couple things in between, a couple points I want to make about uh, the season and, and also uh, the season that's coming ahead. And last but not least, of course, I'm going to cover the NFL divisional playoff rounds that's coming up this weekend. we got four big games that's going to dictate the AFC championship and the NFC championship. So we're going to deep dive that. Maybe we'll see a shocking uh, upset this weekend. Who knows? Anything is possible in the NFL playoffs. So without further ado, let's jump right into it, man. Let's, let's not wait too long. and Let's jump into my Dallas Cowboys. So people who know me know how passionate I am about the Cowboys. I mean, I've gone through such a rough patch all of us i mean if you were a cowboys fan and you're listening to this podcast right now we've all gone through a rough patch man we've gone through it we haven't even sniffed an nfc championship in 25 bleeping years actually no it's 2020 so it's going to be 26 years since we last been in an nfc championship game so that is a disgrace in itself all right I have a lot of reasons as to why that is. Obviously, number one reason on top of that list is Jerry Bleepin' Jones. All right? But we'll get to Jerry in a few. Let's jump into Mike McCarthy. All right? So you already know how I feel. You see the title of the damn podcast episode. It's called New Coach, the Same as the Old Coach. Why do I ask that question? Well, there's so many goddamn similarities between Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy. Let's just face it. Mike McCarthy has a calm demeanor. You know, he's real, like, he's not super exuberant. He's not somebody that you feel like if you were a player that you want to go and run through a wall for. He's not that at all. At least that's not what I get from seeing him. You know, he doesn't do a lot of talking. He's not very boisterous. That's the Mike McCarthy of old that we've come accustomed to, of seeing him uh, coach over in Green Bay for 13 seasons. You know, who knows? Is he going to have a drastic change after being out of the league for a year? Who knows? Hopefully he will because this team needs a shot and an arm. They need a shot of adrenaline to be inspired, to be motivated, to play up to their goddamn talent. That's the problem. And Jason Garrett was incapable of getting that rise off this, uh, off this team, 
this young bunch, this young talented bunch out that's on, that that goes out in the field every Sunday. So is Mike McCarthy gonna you know give that shot of adrenaline? Is he gonna be that five hour energy shot that the Cowboys so desperately need? You know that's to be determined. That's TBD. But I will say this about Mike McCarthy: watching a little bit of the press conference yesterday, kind of you know, enlightened me a little bit as far as his mindset today. He did indicate during the press conference that he learned a lot in the year that he had off. He learned about a lot of things that he could have done differently in his final seasons in Green Bay. So that's a big point. You know, I got to give Mike McCarthy credit for that because it shows growth. It shows that he's someone that isn't willing to stay stuck in his ways that he was able to adapt to some things that he didn't that he felt that he could have done better if that makes any sense. So, I respect that cuz that takes a big person to come out and say, "You know what? I could have done some things differently." But, you know, I did learn from them and I'm ready to implement those things that I learned into this new opportunity with the Dallas Cowboys. So, give him credit on that whether that bears true in the end or not is, you know, a whole nother <laughs> Is a whole nother thing, and it's something that we're gonna have to watch and see. Uh, that's a you know, it's a wait and see kind of approach there. But you know, I when I I'm gonna I'm just gonna explain to you guys how I felt in the beginning when I first heard the news splash across my uh my uh my iPhone. You know, I I just thought to myself when I heard the headline in the beginning about uh Jason Garrett um being held on to and not being uh, immediately fired on that Monday was bizarre in itself. But what we also heard during the course of the week, when we got to about toward the end of the week, maybe Thursday-ish, reports started to say Cowboys interviewing uh, Marvin Lewis, Cowboys interviewing uh, uh, Mike McCarthy. Now, I thought these were just introduction interviews, like intro interviews, where it's like, hey, we're just now opening the door and we're starting the process. No way did I think that they were just going to walk away from just interviewing two people and taking the second person and just closing the door. They didn't even open it up to a wide range of candidates, which I was very disappointed about, you know, because Mike McCarthy, you know, is he that much different than Jason Garrett? You know, to me, he's just a more successful Jason Garrett. That's all he is. He's got the same even kill demeanor. Uh, he's, you know, offense-oriented like Jason was. Uh, one thing he doesn't do that Jason does is clap. Nobody can clap like Jason can. I mean, he is in a league of his own when it comes to clapping and butt-slapping. That's just, that's like his trademark. That's his claim to fame. I mean, that's why we call him the clapper, because he clapping when things go bad. And he's clapping when things go good. That ain't a good message to send to a team. But, you know, back to McCarthy. Um, McCarthy, you know, he, my question is with him is, is he a leader of men? Is he a Mike Tomlin type? Is he a, a Pete Carroll type? Is he a, um, I'm trying to think of somebody else off the top of my head that's real, a, a Sean McVay type, a Sean Payton type. These names that I just listed off the top of my head are guys who are very boisterous. Uh, They're guys that you would probably run through a wall for if you were playing in the field for them. You know, they, they're very charismatic. I thought and I hoped that they would bring someone in that has, that's from that elk. 
You know what I'm saying? Like someone who has that type of energy that can just, you know, jolt that lineup because that liner lineup severely underachieved this year. Severely. And that's because let's say space it, man. Jason Garrett, he's easy to tune out. He is. He is really easy to tune out. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's so easy to tune out. And I think those players in that locker room tuned him out after a while. He was going into his ninth season, or he just finished his ninth season. And out of the nine seasons that Jason Garrett coached the Cowboys, he had four eight and eight seasons. Four. Four eight and eight seasons. And I think after the Vikings lost, I think I said in the video that we're headed to an eight and eight season. Because <laughs> I've been here before, I've seen the movie before, and I know how it ends. And it predictably ended the way I said it was going to end at 8-8. Eight and eight. Because that's who Jason Garrett is. He's an 8-8 eight and eight coach. He's a 500 coach. He can't get over the hump. So to see him finally out the door felt good. But back to Mike McCarthy. I keep getting off of Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy, my question for him is, is he a leader of men? Is he someone that can inspire a group to go out there and do their job and, and perform to their talents? That question is, those two questions are going to be something that we got to pay attention to this season. And I'm willing to give it a try and give it a trial run to see at least if I'm wrong about it. But, you know, again, just back to the press conference, I felt good about the press conference because it did show a guy that was contrite. It did show a guy who was humbled by, uh, you know, the way he exited Green Bay. You know, his name was all over the reports and things coming out as far as him falling out with Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers calling his playbook vanilla and all this other stuff. But Aaron Rodgers is a, is, a, is a basket case anyway. So let's keep that real. All right. Aaron Rodgers is a basket case. And we already know how many players have come out and said this much about Aaron Rodgers as far as his poor leadership. All right. So you kind of got to take that with a grain of salt. In that case, far as giving Mike McCarthy the benefit of the doubt, however, the questions remain: Can he lead men, and can he, more importantly, can he inspire these guys if they go on a two-game losing streak, or can he make those critical adjustments after during halftime, during games that they're behind in, which Jason Garrett was just incapable of doing? I think that Mike McCarthy is a good enough coach to make those adjustments that we screamed for at halftime of those games that we were so close and, 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 and we lost. I think he's, you know, good enough to do that. So that's a positive on his part. But just to run down his record real quick, I'm not going to give the regular season record because who cares? It's really about the playoffs when it comes to me as a Cowboys fan. And we're just not in the playoffs enough. And, we, and when we get into the playoffs, we don't go deep enough into the playoffs. So. One thing about McCarthy is this. Yes, he has a 10-8 and eight playoff record. It's not great, but it's not bad. It's pretty good. 10-8 and eight is not bad at all because out of the 10-8, and eight, this is me making the case for Mike, by the way, out of the 10 out of 8 playoff games, uh, four of those were NFC Championship appearance. So that's a big, big, big thing that I think Jerry looked at and said, hey, man, we haven't even been to an NFC Championship. For God's sake, you know, hell, if we can even get into that, if we can even, you know, sniff an NFC championship, that's progress in itself. So that definitely is an advantage that McCarthy has that Garrett 
just never even <laughs> never even uh dreamed of having. So that's a definite positive for McCarthy. And just to, you know, cap that off, nine playoff appearances out of 13 seasons. That's pretty good. So, again, I don't think McCarthy is a great coach, and he's not a bad coach. He's just an okay coach. Now, the question is, the time that he took away from the game, let's see if he learned anything, and, 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 and let's see the things that he learned, that he claims he's learned. Let's see how he implements those things. But, um, you know, the jury's still out for McCarthy. So, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm willing to at least see how it goes. I'm willing to at least see, give this guy eight games, give him half of a season to see how he uh, handles Dak Prescott, how he handles Ezekiel Elliott. That's going to be an issue as well because, you know, he, the knock on him is he's a pass first guy. And he does. He kind of ignores the run game, but to be fair to him as well, he's never had a running back like Ezekiel Elliott. So let's see exactly how he handles Zeke, because Zeke is going to be an integral part of us ever winning a championship. You've got to have Zeke involved as well as having Dak Prescott involved. Um, so yeah, as always, the big elephant in the room is going to be Jerry Jones. Is he going to be in the way of this team? And he's been in the way of this team. That's been my biggest point. J- uh, you know, Jason was a problem. Coach Clapp was a problem. But he was only enabled, he was only put in that position because of Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones picks the groceries. He, he signs the checks. He does all of these things. He does everything except for coach the team. And my thing with Jerry was, is like, dude, this team is being held back because of your massive ego, because you're a megalomaniac. And you need the spotlight. The star in a helmet to Jerry is him. I mean, you might as well replace the star in a helmet with Jerry's face because that's how Jerry treats himself. He treats himself like he is the star of the Dallas Cowboys, that he is the, 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 the freaking logo. You know, so is Jerry going to get in the way of whatever progress or whatever um, possibilities that can come from hiring a Mike McCarthy? So that's that's to be determined. And again, like I said, I'm willing to give it at least eight games. I'm willing to give it at least that. Let's see how this all plays out. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'll give it the shot. All right. Now, now let's get into the New England Patriots. Oh, you know, I have a whole bunch of Patriots uh, uh, friends who are Patriots fans, and they have been spoiled for all of this time. They've lived like fat cats. We've never seen anything like the New England Patriots. We've never seen that level of success sustained for as long as it has been. And especially have that level of success sustained in the NFL. You just don't see it. You know, in the NFL, the windows for teams are usually like three seasons. I mean, look at the Seattle Seahawks. They were good, but they, they only really had a three-year run far as being the most dominant team in the league, you know, and they walked away from that with just one championship. The Patriots, on the other hand, has had this level, sustained this level of success for two decades. Think about how crazy that is. Two decades. That is not easy. That's not easy at all. But they was able to do that. So now, Tom Brady being 42 years old, uh, Bill Belichick um, getting potentially toward the end of his career, things change. 
Things are changing. The league is changing. You've got quarterback play that has changed now. Tom Brady, when he came into the league, you had, you know, just really, you know, three or four quarterbacks that were representative of every single championship. And that was, you know, Brady, Breeze, uh, Peyton, uh, and Roethlisberger. Now the league has moved away from that generation. That generation is no longer, you know, the front and center anymore. Now you got the Lamar Jacksons, you got the Patrick Mahomes, and the, you know, all of these guys, all these young guys, uh, Deshaun Watson. It's a different league. And one thing about all of those guys that I've named is all of those guys are mobile quarterbacks. Can they throw in a pocket? Yes, they can throw in a pocket, but they can also move. They can move the pocket. They can make all the throws. It's just a different league now. And I think um, Tom kind of learned that this season. But, you know, just to, let's talk about Tom Brady's future. I mean, if he doesn't sign with the New England Patriots, you have to believe he's going to sign with a team, A, that's going to have the cap space to give him the kind of money that he's looking for. You know, knowing Tom, he's probably going to want, I don't know Tom personally, but I'm just saying, judging by the moves he's made lately, as far as uh, when it comes to money and finances or whatever, I think he's going to be looking for like a two-year deal. If I was a GM, I would dangle out a two-year deal to him, but the second year would obviously have to be incentive-based because at that point, what are you going to be, 44 years old or something like that? If I'm the Los Angeles Chargers, it's worth taking a shot at Tom Brady. It's worth taking a shot at Tom Brady. You surround him with those weapons. You give him a Keenan Allen. They have some weapons there. Their line, though, however, this is the one problem with the Chargers. Their line isn't that great. But they can make up for that in the draft. They could pick up some guys in the draft. Maybe they could pick up some guys, a guy or two, in our free agency. So that'll be interesting to see if you want to take that move. If you, you're going to be in a new stadium next year. What better way to make a splash in a new stadium to bring in arguably the greatest of all time in Tom Brady? I mean, it's a no-brainer on I mean, what do you have to lose if you're the Chargers at this point? Because you're moving on from Phillip Rivers. So what do you have to lose at this point? So, yeah, I can definitely see him in a Chargers uniform. Or maybe, you know, another name that, you know, uh, guys are dangling out there is the Indianapolis Colts. Now, that's an interesting one. I mean, the Colts, they do have weapons. They have T.Y. Hilton. They have a couple other interesting receivers on that roster. But more importantly, they have a stout offensive line. That line is really, really good. I mean, that line that they have, that offensive line that they have, might be arguably the best offensive line in football. Everybody always says it's the Dallas Cowboys. As a Cowboys fan, watching them this year, it ain't us. Trust me, it ain't us. I've seen Colts games. I've watched that line play, and that's a big offensive line, man. They maul guys. I remember when we played those guys last season, not this past season, but 2018 season, and when they beat us and handled us, they beat us bad. They mauled us at the line of scrimmage. That offensive line is like beast-like. So you put Tom Brady over there with that offensive line, actually have a, have a shot. I mean, of course, you're going to be going up against Deshaun Watson in that division in the AFC South. I mean, it's not out of the realm for, you know, a, a, a Tom Brady-led Colts team to win that division. It's not out of the realm. So 
you know, that's an interesting point. But let's jump into Bill Belichick real quick. Now, I haven't heard any reports as far as him, uh, the, you know, Robert Kraft moving on from Bill Belichick. But if I'm Robert Kraft, I'm moving on from Bill Belichick. Yeah, I know. I know some of y'all out there are going to say, what is wrong with this dude? Is he high? Nope. Right now, I'm not high. I'm speaking with a clear mind here. Hear me out. Bill Belichick has been there two decades as well, or a little over two decades. And if Tom Brady is, is, is moving on, then why not? This is the perfect time to move on if, if you're a Robert Kraft, because now you brought in a Josh McDaniels. You paid him head coaching money as an assistant. You did that for a reason. You, you brought him in to be the heir apparent. Now, if Tom Brady's leaving, what better time than to pull the trigger on Bill Belichick and have McDaniels take over the show? If you truly believe in Josh McDaniels, then this should be the time for him. And if it's not the time now, then when is it going to be the time? So, you know, Josh McDaniels has to be thinking about his options as well because he has to get explicit word from, from, from Robert Kraft, like, look, man, am I going to get the job or not? And if I'm not going to get the job, then it's time for me to move on because these coaching jobs are drying up. They're not going to always be waiting for, for Josh McDaniels to take his time as far as accepting a job that's being dangled out to him. At some point, those, those jobs are going to dry up. So if I'm McDaniels, I'm saying, hey, man, if it's not now, then it, it, that means it's never. So for Bill Belichick, though, I mean, and, and just to get back to Tom Brady, the narrative with Tom Brady this year was, he was old, he was over the hill because his, all his numbers, statistical stats dipped dramatically this season. But you have to take those stats into, and add context to them. This is what I hate about the media. They don't add context to anything. They just hide behind numbers. And numbers, you know, they, they, they're not the end all to everything. They're not just, it's not a black and white thing. But just because you put numbers up doesn't mean it's black and white. There's shades of gray in everything that we, we experience in life. And numbers are just, it has shades of gray to them as well. You have to add context. You know, the context is uh, the fact that the Patriots let the league in drops as far as their receiving core. The facts are that the Patriots probably had the worst lineup in <laughs> surrounding Tom Brady. I mean, he had no one to throw to. No one to throw to. And I don't care. I'm not the biggest Tom Brady fan. I'm not the biggest Patriots fan, but I got two eyes. And I seen a lot of those games. And he didn't have much help. He didn't. He has no tight ends. He has no, no, no receiving core. At the same time, you'll hear analysts on TV waving their pom-poms talking about how great Carson Wentz is. And, oh, he had so many injuries. And he pulled through. And he did this, and he was he pulled some games out against the Giants, who are terrible, and against the Washington Redskins, who are terrible, but they don't add context. The context is Carson Wentz primarily throws his tight ends. Always has. Has nothing to do with his, his receiving core being hurt and all this other bull BS that everybody keep trying to use because they're Carson Wentz fans. He throws his tight ends. Goddard? And Zach Ertz are two of the best tight ends in the league. So don't, you know, spare me with all this, oh, you know, these guys were hurt. Give, give Tom Brady Zach Ertz this season. This season is a little different. They might get the first seed with a healthy Zach Ertz. Hell, if you gave Tom Brady Goddard, they would have probably been a first seed. 
Like, come on, man. Add context. Add context. And this goes all the way to the narrative of Bill Belichick. Everybody just focuses on Bill Belichick and his defensive prowess. They always focus on that. And they leave out the one key detail about Bill Belichick. And that's the fact that he is the goddamn general manager. He picks the talent. So if Tom Brady doesn't have the receivers that he needs, he doesn't have the tight ends that he needs, and he doesn't even have a freaking running back that he, that he needs, who do you point the finger at about that? It ain't Tom. He can't go and catch the balls, throw them and catch them, like Giselle said two, two Super Bowls ago. That is up to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick picks the groceries. Bill Belichick put that product out on the field. Terrible. He's a terrible GM. And you know what? I'm getting tired of Bill Belichick getting off with being a terrible GM. He's terrible. Look at the throughout the years. He has not really put real talent around Tom Brady. Very few times where he stole Randy Moss or he drafted uh, Aaron Hernandez or, or drafted a Gronkowski or those types of players. Yeah, you know, you, you find a diamond in a rough like a Julian Edelman here and there. But when it came down to it these last couple of seasons, especially this season, it was all smoke and mirrors. Tom Brady didn't have anybody to throw to. And you got to blame that on Bill Belichick. You know what he brought in instead? He brought in Mohamed Sanu after the Falcons basically gave him away. They, they, they moved on from him. So, you know, you picked up a Mohamed Sanu. Who, who can't separate anymore. He can't run anymore. We've seen that on display this season. He can't separate and he can't run past guys anymore. But for whatever reason, for whatever strange and bizarre reason, Bill Belichick thought that, you know what, I'm going to go after Mohamed Sanu instead of going after, hmm, let's say, an Emmanuel Sanders. How in the world did Bill Belichick not get Emmanuel Sanders? And he is ripping it up in San Francisco right now is Jimmy G's number one receiver right now. Bill Belichick could have got him. I don't know what he did. You could have got him. Let's give you another name from free agency. And this is just free agency. We're going to get into Bill's record a little bit more as far as the draft. <laughs> We're not going to get deep in that rabbit hole, but I'm going to get to that in a second. But these are free agents that he could have at least made the attempt to get. Now, he did try to make an attempt at Jared Cook, but Jared Cook was going to be expensive. Yeah, a uh, 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 a top caliber tight end like a Jared Cook is going to be a little expensive, Bill. But you know what? You pay the money because you're going to get the production. The price got up a little bit high and Bill walked away. Or you, you get in this Mohamed Sanu, you make a deal for that. Instead of going after Emmanuel Sanders, who's still running by a guy, still high, you know, still playing as like a Pro Bowl level. You didn't even go after him. Or you need running back help. How about you go and pick up, I don't know, like a Kareem Hunt. You know, it, it's crazy. Let's get into the draft with Bill Belichick, right? So he drafted uh, Sonny Michelle, right? Guess who he could have drafted ahead of Sonny Michelle? Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle's teammate, who is ripping it up right now in Cleveland. He could have got Nick Chubb. He opted to draft Sonny Michelle. That's not Tom Brady's fault. That's Bill Belichick's fault because he's a terrible GM. Oh, let's get let's get well, let's let's talk about some other misses by Bill during the draft. So you know how you drafted Nikhil Harry, right? And you know, Nikhil Harry, he's got the size, he could be potentially good, and all this other stuff, rah, 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 right? So let's let's I'm just gonna enlist a couple guys in that same draft that he could have picked up instead of Nikhil Harry. Uh let's talk about AJ Brown for the Titans. AJ Brown looks pretty good, right? Yes, I think so. Uh how about DK Metcalf? 
for the Seattle Seahawks. He went to Seattle at pick 64. Now, Nikhil Harry went to the Pats at pick 32. He was at the very end of the first round. So you mean to tell me the Seattle Seahawks got DK Metcalf, who's a beast. He is like six something, 230 or whatever he is size for a receiver. You could have picked him up, but you picked Nikhil Harry. Why? Oh, I got more guys for you. How about Marquise Hollywood Brown for the Baltimore Ravens? They picked him at pick 25. Now, you couldn't tell me Bill couldn't made a deal to get lower in a draft to pick this kid up. This kid is dynamic. He could have picked this guy up, but he didn't. He didn't pick him up. He could have traded down to get him, but he didn't. He stayed where he was, and he got Nikhil Harry. Oh, how about another guy? You want another guy? How about this? Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, who plays for the Washington Redskins. He went at pick 36. So he went four picks after you got Nikhil Harry. And he played for the Redskins, who's been through about two, three, four different quarterbacks. And he almost still put up a 1,000 uh, receiving yards this season. So Bill Belichick is a marginal general manager at best. And he's been able to get away with that because of the greatness of Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the ultimate deodorant because he was so great at covering up the stench that Bill Belichick left as far as his general manager um, decision-making. So let's not ignore that. Just like I said, context. Context, people. Let's not ignore that. Uh, now, just to end on the Patriots talk, now they're talking about picking up uh, Andy Dalton. This is what the rumor mill is suggesting. Andy Dalton, because the, the you know obviously the Cincinnati Bengals are going to move on from Dalton because they're going to pick up the kid from LSU, uh, Joe Burrow, and as they should because Joe Burrow, even in college, is better than Andy Dalton in his prime. But that's a whole other story. The Patriots are actually thinking about picking up Andy Dalton. Is he a terrible quarterback? Not really. Is he great? No. But he's better than what they have right now. And I think Bill, in his mind, his genius mind thinks that he can turn Andy Dalton into one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's going to have to do that in order to make the Patriots competitive next season, if he's still coaching. So that's interesting. Listen, Andy Dalton, we've seen him in the playoffs. Part of the reason why Marvin Lewis' record was 0-7 in the playoffs, because of Andy Dalton. Not because of Marvin Lewis's defenses. Marvin Lewis had great defenses. It was Andy Dalton. Again, context. That's the, this, that, that should have been the title of this episode, Context. Everybody shits on Marvin Lewis in playoff record, but they don't add the proper context. He's never really had an elite quarterback to lead his teams. Andy Dalton is not elite. Yeah, he's been in a Pro Bowl once or twice, but he's not elite. In a lot of those games in the playoffs, I watched Cincinnati play. He put up a lot of stinkers. He was not very good. I don't even think he played well in one playoff game, Andy Dalton, I'm talking about. So if I'm Bill Belichick, do I think that guy is going to be uh, the guy moving forward, the guy that's going to win and pull out those big-time games that Tom Brady consistently did over and over and over again? No. Why would I think that? But in Bill Belichick's mind, he thinks that. This is the same guy that benched uh, uh, Butler to, to, for Eric Rowe in the Super Bowl. And Eric Rowe was trash. I've seen Eric Rowe play on the Eagles. We used to light him up. The Cowboys used to light him up. So why in the world would he do that? But again, this is Bill's mindset because Tom is the ultimate deodorant. So 
when you have the ultimate deodorant, you can get away with stuff like that. But lately, he hasn't been able to get away with stuff like that. And I'm just calling attention to it because no one else is. So, you know, that's enough about the Patriots. I don't want to talk about them too much. Let's get into the playoff picture for this weekend. NFL divisional playoff picks. Um, I'm going to jump into real quick. I'm, I'm, before I give my pick, let's uh, just list the games that's coming up. We got the Titans versus the Ravens. Uh, who uh, the Ravens are a nine point, the nine point favorite. So that's right now. Vegas got them at nine points. This could change, obviously, at any time leading into the game into kickoff. But you got the Texans versus the Chiefs. Chiefs are nine and a half point favorite. And then you got Seahawks versus Packers. Packers are four point favorite. And then you got Vikings versus 49ers, who are a seven point favorite. I'm talking about the 49ers. So these are some really good pick 'em games. Obviously, I, I, even judging by uh, Titans and Ravens games, I think that spread is too high, nine points. I expect that to come down a little bit. That could be a close one. I mean, Titans do play defense, but I can see why they would put nine points because, I mean, at this point, you're putting faith into Ryan Tannehill going to Baltimore and probably having the upset of the season because, he, you know, yes, he was on the winning side for the Patriots, but that doesn't mean he played well. He was 8-15 with 75 yards and one touchdown. I mean, he made one good throw out that game. Now, granted, it was only – that's all he needed, but he, you know, wasn't great. That doesn't mean that he's going to have that same type of fortune over at Baltimore. So, you know, that should be an interesting one. And um, Texans and Chiefs at 9.5 point. If I was a betting man, I would bet against that spread because the Texans do play the Chiefs very, very well. They always do whether it's in Houston, whether it's in Kansas City, they play them tough. So I, I definitely can see that game be a little closer, maybe a touchdown, not nine and a half. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be healthy that game. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. They're going to have some other guys coming back as well. J.J. Uh, Watt gets a, you know extra crack at it, him coming off of that uh, torn pec. Uh, that's going to be an interesting game. And then you got Seahawks, Packers, Packers. Packers is interesting, man. They're probably out of the teams that are left. I think they're the weakest out of the bunch, honestly. Now, I know you're saying, oh, they're 13-3, and three. they're 13-3. and three. But are they a dominant 13-3? and three? You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not really a dominant 13-3. and three. When you look at the Ravens, you're like, oh, they're dominant. Packers are kind of like, they kind of crept into the playoff picture under the radar. You know, one of the top seeds kind of got in under the radar. Uh, they're one of the top seeds that really nobody's talking about because there's no fear there. So now, you know, that's not saying that they can't go on a run and get back to the Super Bowl, but um, I, I'm not picking them. You know, I, I think that they will struggle against the tougher teams, and they do tend to struggle against the Seahawks. Russell does very well against that team. So, you know, I can definitely see the Seahawks uh, pulling a quote-unquote upset at Green Bay, at Lambeau. This is the game that Aaron is going to have to shine on. Aaron Rodgers is going to have to shine in this game. Typically, Pete Carroll and, and company has his, has his number. You know, they have a really good record against him. And I think this is the time for him to shine. This is, this, you know, he's not going to have too many of these types of opportunities to make a run at the uh, championship. So he has to take advantage of this now because he's not going to have too many of these opportunities. So that should be an interesting one. 
Um, and then lastly, Vikings and 49ers. Vikings defense played really good, really, really good against the Saints. They made Drew Brees look like his age. <laughs> they made him look 41 years old. Defense translates very well during this time of the year. It really does. And they have the capability of going on a run. And, you know, they're probably the, the biggest underdog in the playoffs left. Nobody really expects anything from the Vikings, especially given that Kirk Cousins is their starting quarterback. So that would be a hell of an upset against the 49ers. You know, that would definitely be an upset. But I expect the 49ers, out of all of this, I, this, is, this is my pick. This is my pick. Ravens will win against the Titans. Chiefs will win against the Texans. I'm picking Seattle over the Packers. I'm not going to give you a score, but I'm just going to tell you, give you who I think is going to win. Seattle over the Packers, and then 49ers over the Vikings. So that means uh, I, I don't really, off the top of my head, know how the seeds are going to play out. If the Seahawks win, you know, they'll actually, oh, all right. If the Seahawks win, that means that they're going to go to the 49ers, I think. So that should be interesting. And then uh, as far as the, yeah, so the Ravens will win, Chiefs win. So that means the Chiefs are going to the Ravens. So that should be interesting. That's what we want. We want Ravens versus Chiefs. We see that, Ravens versus Chiefs, Seahawks versus 49ers, then we're set up for the pretty good uh, uh, NFC and AFC championship games. But, yeah, that, that's just my two cents as far as what's going to happen during the divisional playoffs. This is one of the better uh, playoffs seasons that I've seen in quite a bit of time because it's all up in the air. We don't know who's going to win this thing. But we do know it's going to be somebody new, somebody we've never seen in that position before. So that's what makes this compelling television. That's what makes us watch sports. Well, that's it. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of the Voice Junkie Podcast. This is episode 42. You know, so support us at patreon.com slash Chuck Westworld, or you can support us at the bottom link in this description box. There's a link that you can support the podcast directly through Anchor. So try that out. Also follow us at Voice Junkie Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. And then follow me on both platforms as well at Chuck Westworld. Until next time, folks, peace.